um, about uh, how, how God is near to us. Um, and we really want to focus on God as Emmanuel. Um, but, but before we get into this, uh, let's just open with prayer. Um, Lord, we just ask that you, um, that, that you would just come and just fill us with your spirit this morning um, for the purpose of discerning um, how you're near to us, discerning uh, you as Emmanuel, God. Uh, Lord, if there's ways that we're, we've been keeping our distance from you, God, I pray that you, you would open our eyes to that today, Lord. Um, so, yeah, and just help us to be able to enjoy your presence, not just today, um, but um, throughout this week as well, Lord. Um, to, to, yeah, to find ways to draw near to you, um, to taste and see that you are good, Lord. Um, but we pray that, yeah, that this first day of the week that we would begin and be able to enjoy that now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if we go to our first slide, how many people know who these guys are? Anyone? All right, so I see a few hands. All right, who is this? DC Talk, yeah. So this was like the band when I was uh, in junior high, high school. This was like the big Christian band um, that me and all my friends, we knew their songs, we learned all the words. Uh, they had an album called Jesus Freak. I think that was their biggest album, and we learned all uh, the lyrics to the song Jesus Freak, and we would jump around uh, our youth group. They'd use this to get us hyped up. Um, and, and there were lots of other songs on the album. Uh, one of the songs was called What If I Stumble, What If I Fall? Um, and if we go to the next slide... Uh, the, the song began with this quote by Brennan Manning, uh, which, uh, yeah, says, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And so, yeah, I heard this quote a lot because I would listen to the album over and over again. Um, and today we want to talk about, yeah, how we can... Uh, sometimes confess him with our lips, but then deny him with our lifestyle. And I think one of the, one of the big ways we can do that is, uh, and I, is something called deism. Um, so there, there's different, you see the words transcendent and imminent um, up there. And uh, transcendence, that talks about um, how something is beyond or above the range of normal physical human experiences. Or with God, he's existing apart from, and he's not limited by the material universe. Um, but he's fully present. Um, oh, sorry. But then imminence is how he's fully present with us. Um, he refers to the divine presence manifest in the material um, and the spiritual world uh, permeating uh, the, the mundane. So when we talk about uh, transcendence, that's how God is wholly independent from creation. He's over and above it. But when we talk about imminence, it's about how he's fully present with us, um, even in creation. And there's these different ideas. Secularism um, and atheism, they kind of deny that God, they said God is neither transcendent nor imminent because there is no God. Deism believes that God, yeah, there was a God. He's kind of the unmoved mover. He created everything, kind of wound it up like a clock, and then he's kind of kept his distance ever since, and he's just letting it run like a mechanical machine, and he's not really personally involved. Um, if you've heard about uh, nuns or agnostics, they're kind of, they can go... Um, kind of in between, they can lean one way or another. Um, they can be maybe like, I, I, don't, I don't think God exists, but I don't really know. Maybe he does exist, but he's so distant, it's impossible to know anyway. So we don't need to do a lot with him because it's hard to know. Uh, and then Ju Judeo-Christians, uh, so yeah, Jewish, Christian, and Christians, we're what we call theists. And we believe that God is both transcendent, he's over and above all creation, 
but he's also imminent. He's actively involved in creation. Uh, he, he's fully present in creation, working in our lives today. Um, and so, yeah. So deism is the belief that, yeah, there's this higher power that created the world, but God will not interfere with natural law or perform miracles, and that people should rely on logic and reason instead of religious traditions, based on writings in a book. Uh, famous deists from history include Napoleon Bonaparte, Benjamin Franklin, and Thomas Jefferson. And I think it's interesting to know that, that two of the founders of our country um, yeah, were, were these uh, practicing deists. Sometimes we talk about how our, um, we were formed on, cre- on Judeo-Christian values. Um, but there was also a big push um, at the founding yeah, for, to be formed on the values, but, but not actually involved with the God that, that uh, gave us those values. And so, like, when we look at First Chronicles and Corinthians and we read the stories of these different kings, uh, one of the things that they struggled with a lot was, was Baal. Um, they would constantly go and they'd worship Baal. And I, I want to suggest that, that uh, because, yeah, because of some of our founders, uh, one thing that's continually popped up in the church um, throughout American history is this idea of de- deism uh, pushing uh, up against Christianity. Um, and so... Um, there's actually, back in 2005, there was a study um, done among Christian youth. Well, not just Christian youth, all youth. So Christian, Muslim, Jewish. And they, kinda, they came up with this term called moral therapeutic deism. Um, and they found out that most youth, um, they, they kind of had these five beliefs that they held to. And, uh, yeah, they didn't really... Um, no. Yeah, and so they, they believed that, one, like, one God kind of created everything, but yeah, he's kind of stepped back and he's kept his distance. Um, that's, that's the deism. Um, and yeah, he's not really actively involved in our life. Um, moralistically, they believe that God just wants us to be good people. Um, yeah, and so it, it's more about, uh, it's, and then the therapeutic part is God just wants us to live a happy life. And they couldn't really explain a lot of the uniqueness of their Jewish faith or their Christian faith or their Muslim faith. Um, but they just kind of believe that there, there was this God that created everything that we should have some general sense of gratitude towards. But since he's distant, it's okay for us to remain distant as well. And we only really need to turn to him if there's a big crisis. Uh, but apart from big crises, uh, we don't really need to turn to him. And uh, so with, with the moralistic part, uh, Ravi Zacharias says the biggest difference between Jesus Christ and ethical and moral teachers who have been deified by man, is that these moralists came to make bad people good, but Jesus came to make dead people alive. Uh, and, and so, like, uh, with, with the moralistic uh, therapeutic deism, like, yeah, lots of times they're, they're trying to figure out how to be good by themselves. They're like, okay, here's the law. What can I do? How can I be more self-controlled? What, what programs can I use? What willpower can I use? Uh, but they're often trying to do it on them, by themselves. Um, yeah, which is different. Uh, yeah, we don't believe that, we as Christians, we don't believe that Jesus came, um, yeah, just so we could be better people, but that we were dead in our sins and trespasses, that we needed this God to come and bring us back to life. Um, and then through that new life, we're able to live out uh, the, this law. Uh, we're, we're able to follow God's law. We're able to uh, live as, as uh, members of his kingdom. Um, Jeff, yeah, Jefferson, um, maybe some of you guys have heard of the Jefferson Bible. Um, but, yeah, so one thing he did as a deist was he decided there's parts of the Bible I, I think are true and parts that aren't. And so he kind of went through and he, he took a Bible and he cut out everything that he decided he didn't believe in. And mostly he just kept the morals and then all the miracles he, let, he, he decided to cut out. Um, and, yeah, one of the, like, 
the deists, they would say, uh, God gave us reason, um, not religion or not revelation. And so all these things that seem too supernatural for him, he kind of cut out and he kind of p- would pick and choose. Um, I think, um, yeah, sometimes people talk about salad bar Christians where we kind of, it's kind of like a salad bar, like, okay, I like this, so I'll take this, and then, oh, I like this from another faith, so I'll take that, and I like this practice, and so we kind of pick and choose. Um, that, that's kind of like what the spirit of this moralistic therapeutic deism is. It's uh, picking and choosing what you want from different things. Um, another thing, part of the moralistic part um, is that it often made humans the focus instead of God. Um, and so it was something that we got to decide what's right and wrong since God's kind of distant. You know, we, we can go, we can pick and choose the verses we want, we can uh, see what feels right to us, that's kind of what we can follow. Um, and so what, what, I think one big example of this is like, so 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was asked, what is the golden rule? He said, um, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And there's a silver rule which is like it, which is to love your neighbor. Um, but since about the 1600s, uh, we decided to, uh, some pastors, they, they, made, um, they decided to call the second commandment the golden rule. And, and a lot of people have, have got around this idea like that, that that's somehow more important. And so, like, so the idea of loving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and mind, that's at best the silver rule, and for some people even farther down, maybe bronze, maybe wood, maybe stubble. stubble. Um, and what's really important is just that we love our neighbors. Um, and so, we've, uh, so with this, this moralistic therapeutic deism, since God is so distant, what's most important are the humans around us. Um, and so we focus on that and kind of push God off to the side. Um, with, with the therapeutic part, uh, yeah, it's just the idea that God wants us to be happy. And so the, as they interviewed all these youth, they're like, well, God's good, um, so God wants, and God must want me to be happy. And I get to define what's going to make me happy. Um, and, and so as far as therapy, therapy comes from a Greek word to minister. Um, psychology, um, it comes from the study. Psychology means uh, psych is the soul. So it's like the study of the soul. And psychiatry, psych is the soul or mind. And, and then the iatry is healing. So it's about how to seal, heal the soul. And so, but a lot of our modern um, psychiatry, psychology, healing of the soul, studying of the soul, ministering to the soul, um, we, we do it as, as if God had no role in it. And, and so it's, it's, we're, going, we're going and we're talking with other people and we're coming up with these practices, uh, but we're not actually inviting God into it. And, and so um, that, that's like the, the therapeutic part. We keep God distant. Um, and we kind of like do this navel gazing instead of gazing up towards the throne and tra- gazing towards God's kingdom and looking for him to be involved in our healing because he does want us to be healed. You know, he, he has sent ministers, um, yeah, but, but he wants to be involved in it. And he, he knows there are certain healings that can only take place if he's involved in it. Um, so, yeah, he wants us to be moral people. Um, but, but he understands the way he designed us. He understands, um, yeah, he understands what's good better than all of us. And so he, he wants us to be going to him, um, one, to discern what is right and wrong, but also to find the strength to live it out. It's not something we have to do on our own. Um, and, that, and that's kind of what, yeah, the, the deistic idea keeps pushing is that, yeah, he's distant, so we have to figure it out on our own. Um, so as, as we kind of, so as how we respond to this, um, we're going to go to well, one of my favorite Bible stories. It's Second Chronicles chapter 20. 
Um, and this is a story of uh, King Jehoshaphat, and, and uh, he's got this big battle that he's facing. So it says, After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Menuhites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat, he stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord before the new court, and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, and in your hand are power and might, so that as none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it, and they have built for you a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and we will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now, behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given to us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment against them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Aziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position. And see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. And do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed with his head, with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites, the Kohathites, and the Korites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning, and they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in me, the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. And as they went before the army, uh, they said, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the man of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, 
They all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked down toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground, for none had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers good clothing and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil, it was so much. And then on the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Baraka, for they were blessed by the Lord. Therefore the name has been called the Valley of Baraka to this day. All right, and so, so this is a story, yeah, like, so they have this problem, um, and, uh, but, but God's there to fight this battle for them. I want to go back to the, the beginning. Um, yeah, so uh, at the beginning, it's, uh, we have, uh, uh, we'll go back to verse 3. So it says, Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all of Judah. And I want you to think about where do you guys usually turn when you're afraid or when you're alarmed, when you're worried, when you're anxious, when you're ashamed? If I'm not turning to God, usually I'm turning to one of two things. Usually I'm turning to my phone or I'm turning to food. And so if I get stressed, I might pull my phone out and just do something to distract me from what's making me anxious, what's making me alarmed, uh, whatever it is that's distressing me. Um, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll surf Facebook, I'll watch a YouTube video, I'll watch another YouTube video. And they're just two minutes, but then I keep watching them, and pretty soon I've eaten up a half an hour or an hour just trying to avoid what's, what's bothering me. Or, um, you know, especially now that it's hot, I might turn to ice cream. Um, or I've got other food that, yeah, it's just a comfort food. And sometimes, yeah, I'll get like halfway through a pint of ice cream and realize, oh man, I should have stopped and prayed first. <laughs> like, um, something's obviously bothering me, and I need to talk to God. Um, and, uh, but, but where do you turn? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that sometimes you turn to God, but are there other things that sometimes you turn to when you're stressed? Uh, I remember uh, we're about to get into—we're already into it, but we have the debates coming up uh, this week. Um, and I remember like feeling so much alarm during the last election cycle. Like it just seemed like, like with both candidates, like it was—it was more like you need to be afraid of the other person. And so I remember, yeah, just being like so terrified. I remember actually the. The night when everyone, uh, the, where everyone voted, everyone thought that Hillary was going to win. And so I remember, like, just, I, like, for, like, months, I'd just been he, being fed on all this alarm. And so I was, went to bed, like, thinking, oh, no, I need to be worried about all these things. And then I woke up, and I heard that Trump was, had won. And, and at first, I thought, oh, I don't have to worry about all those things that I had to worry about about Hillary that the media was telling me I had to worry about. And then I... Um, got ready, got on the bus, and on the bus I started to think about more and more things that I'd been told I had to worry about about Trump. And by the time I got to school, I was just as alarmed um, because that, like that, I just felt like in the last election cycle, there was really no like, vote for me because I'm going to do great things. It's vote for me because I'm not as scary as the last person. And uh, we're about to get into these, yeah, we got the debates, I think, this week. Um, and I just, I'm, yeah, I'm concerned because I think there's going to be a lot of alarmism again. Um, yeah, and, and a lot of not, and they're not going to point us like, yeah, there, there's a thing you got to worry about, so go to God. They're going to say, there's a thing you have to worry about, so get invested in me. Vote for me. Get against the other person and everything. Um, and so I, I just want you to think, as, as you're going to be hearing all these alarm, alarming messages, like there are some generally alarming things. Uh, but, but alarms, so sometimes there's like a fire alarm, which warns you of danger. Sometimes we set alarms on our phone to remind us to wake up, to remind us that we've got a meeting. Um, so as, as you're hearing a lot of these alarms, uh, tr- try, I want to try and challenge you to think about it as, an alar- as a reminder 
that we need, we need God's help. We as a nation need God's help. So every time you see an, uh, a political attack ad, every time you see um, a, a clickbait um, headline that that's, wants you to get alarmed, try, try and remember, okay, this, is, this alarm is a reminder that, that our country needs God. Not that I need to get invested in this candidate so much and that candidate and against these people and people that support him. Um, but, but yeah, when, when the world's like trying to get you alarmed, let it be a reminder to us of, of our need and dependence on God. Um, so, yeah, anyways, so, so, yeah, where do you turn when you're alarmed, afraid, or terrified? Um, another thing we see in this passage uh, is we see a, a really active community. So in verses 4 and 5, it says, And then Judah, that's the whole country of Judah, assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jeho- Jehoshaphat, he stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord, before the new court. And just to be clear, later in verse 13, it says, Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. So they brought the babies, they brought the children, all the, 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 the wives and the men, they were all there. Um, and I, I think sometimes, like, yeah, we, uh, one way that we can keep kind of our distance from God is we can think it's the job of the pastor to draw near to God. And then we come to church on Sunday, and he's supposed to bring to us what he received during the week. We're supposed to get fed from that. Um, but, and, we don't, and so sometimes instead of drawing near to God ourselves, you know, we, we think Sunday's the place where we come um, to, yeah, to be fed by the, the pastor who then draws near to God. Um, but it will, you see in this story, it's not just Jehoshaphat that's coming before God. It's not just the leader. But the entire nation is coming with them. Uh, yeah, actually, the, the, the community is mentioned more in this passage uh, than Jehoshaphat the leader. And Jehoshaphat, he's actually following uh, the pattern of King David. So King David, there's like chapters upon chapters in Chronicles where it lists all the people that surrounded King David. There's a whole chapter about the Levites and everything the Levites did in, the king, uh, in, yeah, in David's kingdom in 1 Chronicles chapter 23. Then in 24, it talks about the priests and all these priests that were around him, uh, that were helping him. Uh, in verse 24, it talks about family leaders. And there were leaders of different families that were helping to build the kingdom of David and, the king, and then later the kingdom of Solomon. Verse 25, it talks about the role of musicians in building that kingdom. Verse 26, you have the gatekeepers, you have the treasurers, you have the administrators. In verse 27, you have ministry leaders. You've got David. There's a whole chapter about all his mighty men. You know, he wasn't alone, but he was, he was building a community, an active community that was supporting him um, in, in serving God. Uh, then it goes on to tribal leaders. Uh, then the wise counselors, he had advisors. And then also he had gift givers. Uh, as he's getting ready to build this temple, it you know, just lists all the people that came and gave generously. And so there was this whole community around David. And he passed this on to Solomon, it talks about in uh, First Chronicles. And then the kingdom gets divided, and then sometimes you have good kings and you have bad kings. Um, and there's like four revivals uh, throughout the book of First Chronicles. But every time you see a revival... It never just mentions the king, but it mentions people around the king as well. So like with Jehoshaphat, in the, in the passages before this, it talks about the judges and mentions them by name, who he appointed. And he's got Levites and he's got priests. Um, so besides having the whole community with him right, right here, he's got other people that are standing with him. It's an active community, not just uh, one active leader. And, and every time that you see a revival, the revival during the time of Johash and, um, yeah, and, uh, and other kings, uh, his father... Uh, Asa, 
Um, again, it says, everyone gathered um, with Asa to seek the Lord. And so if, if, we, uh, if we want to stand together, it's, it's not, sometimes, yeah, don't put so much faith in the pastor that you're not being active yourself. You know, we, we've got some great volunteer leaders, and we've got some great volunteers that help run our children's ministry, that, that donate, um, yeah, that, that are helping with tech, that are helping with the, the music team, um, that are going to the prayer meeting. And that's what we are leading small groups. Uh, there's so many ways you can get involved. Um, and yeah, uh, but yeah, there's this active community here seeking God together. And then also you have an in, imminent and active God. Uh, if you look at the prayer of Jehoshaphat, um, yeah, he, he's remembering things that God has done in their past. Uh, so with, with deism, um, it was often the idea that, yeah, God created everything and then he's kind of left and, and kind of kept his distance. Uh, the way that we can sometimes uh, bring this into Christianity is, so God kind of did this new creation. He sent Jesus and Jesus was very active then and then Jesus went up in the clouds and he's kind of distant ever since. Or like we really need God to save us. But then once he saved us, then we have to figure out the rest on our own. And, and so we like, point to like there's very specific instances where he was uh, involved, but he's not involved day to day. Um, but here he says, Oh Lord God of heaven's father, are you, you're, not, you're the God in heaven. That's the transcendence. You rule over all the kingdoms and the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. But did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land? So he's also very imminent, very near, very with them. Before your people Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. And they have lived in it, and they have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name. Saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you. For your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. And so they're, they're expecting that, yeah, that God, you're here, and you can hear us, and you can save us now. Now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possessions, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So instead of feeling powerless and t- picking up our phone or um, yeah, feeling powerless and binge eating something, um, just re- remembering that God is near. And when we feel powerless, we can turn to him. Um, so yeah, there's, there's this active God. And then in verses 15 and 17, uh, it says, and he said, so then, uh, yeah, they're all gathered together in Jehoshaphat. He says, listen, all Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Oh, sorry, this is, the, this is the, um, the prophet that the Holy Spirit came upon. Listen, all Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. Oh, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. And behold, they will come up by the ascent of Aziz, and you will find them at the valley east of the wilderness of Jerusalem. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord your God on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed, with his, head, bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. 
And so, yeah, their responsibility wasn't to fight this battle, but they, they, had to take, they had to go out, they had to stand. And even here we see them bowing down and worshiping. Uh, this last semester I took this class at Moody um, about worship, and we read, uh, one thing he talked about was in Psalm 95, where it says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God and Maker. And uh, he said, the word worship actually means to fall on your face before God. And so we have these three uh, postures, falling on your face before God, bowing down, or kneeling. And, yeah, it was something I began practicing this last semester that's really helped me um, in my prayer life. And so I just want to give it as a practical thing. Uh, even l- this last week, I was on the bus, and I'm like, all right, uh, I was going towards my internship, and I thought I'm going to pray a little bit. And so I sat, and I started praying, and I put, put my phone in my pocket before I started praying, and then two minutes later, I'm still praying, but all of a sudden I realize I have my, somehow my phone's in my hand. And so I'm like, I'm already getting distracted by it, and I'm putting, so I put it back in my pocket and tried to keep focusing. Um, but yeah, sometimes just getting in these postures really helps with that. I, I, can have a, I can be really ADD, especially when I sit down to pray. Like I could start praying and then just start thinking about this, and so it's more like two minutes of prayer and then five minutes of wandering, and then, okay, another 30 seconds of prayer, and then my mind wanders again. And so if I, said, yeah, if I try and pray for 30 minutes, I might actually be praying for five. Um, but, but getting in these postures sometimes has been really helpful. Um, yeah, just laying on my face, like it's not a comfortable position. And so I find myself thinking, why am I in this position? Is my heart in this position before you? And so like, uh, yeah, just putting my body in that position almost as a way of helping me meditate on what's the attitude of my heart. Um, sometimes I'll be at church and the worship, the worship band will be up leading, and I'll just be, like, not feeling it at all. And I realize I'm, like, sitting there with my arms crossed. And sometimes just un- the act of, I'll just like, realize that and just uncross my arms and kind of open up my chest. I'm just like, all right, God, I'm trying to try and open myself up to you. And, and I think there, yeah, there is a, it's, it's, it's amazing sometimes just how being aware of my posture has affected uh, my, my attitude towards and my connection with God. Um, and so I, I think one practical thing you could do, I, like before this last semester, I can't remember the last time I was literally on my knees before God. Um, and so I challenge you guys to, this week, take some time and literally get on your knees or bow down or lay on your face before God. Think about, is this the, is this the posture of my heart? And just try, try and spend five minutes in one of those postures three times this week. Um, this is, yeah, as I've been trying to, yeah, um, just be aware of, of the nearness of God. This has been a practice that's helped me, one, free me from distractions, but also reflect on the attitude of my own heart. Um, so, and yeah, but, so they fell on their face, but they also went out and they stood. And sometimes, yeah, we're going to have to take stands uh, for God. Uh, and, and this is, so then we're going to go to Ephesians 6 uh, for the New Testament. Um, we have this battle, and, and we're also in a battle here. It says, uh, they were commanded to go out and stand and be strong. Ephesians were commanded as a church, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You know, it, it's not a ba- it's the, the battle belongs to the Lord again. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth 
and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that the words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And, and so just as Jehoshaphat they were called, said, go out and take a stand. The battle doesn't belong to you, but your job is to go out and take a stand. The same is true for us. Like, the battle belongs to the Lord, but we have to go out and stand in the armor. We have to go out and assume certain postures in our community. Um, yeah, we, sometimes we have to stand for principles. Uh, sometimes we stand best on our knees in prayer. Um, and also, just, just as they had an, an imminent and active God um, in the Old Testament, we have an imminent and active God here in the New Testament. Um, so this is Ephesians 6, but if you go earlier in Ephesians 2, it says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at a time separate from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And so, yeah, we don't have this God that's distant. We have access to him in one spirit. We have one access to the Father. He's actively drawing people today together into the church. Uh, the, the way lots of the, the epistles or the, the letters in the New Testament are written, at the beginning it talks about what God's been actively doing to build his church. Even though Jesus had left, even though Jesus had uh, ascended into the clouds, uh, he was sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's there. He's praying for us. And, he's st- and through his prayers and through the Spirit, he's still working in his church. Um, and so... Uh, the way, that, the way that, like, sometimes that we can fall into, like, like, almost like a deism that's just blanketed, kind of got Christianity dripped over it, is we, we grab onto certain verses. We, all right, we should be good moral people. Okay, so here's a verse. Um, and so we kind of pick and choose verses. Um, and, lots of t- and so we can miss out on all that God is actively doing. Um, so another practical thing you could do this week, like, so example, if Philippians 4.13 is your favorite verse, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Go, go back this week and start at the beginning of Philippians and just read the whole book and see everything that God is actively doing for the church in those four chapters. You know, if your favorite verse is Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This week, go back and start with Romans 1 and just read a chapter a day or something. And, and see what God's been, how God's been actively working for the good of all people. 
uh, of those who he's loved who have been called according to his purpose. You know, if, if your verse is Hebrews 21, or 12 verse 1, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Go back. There's so much cool stuff in Hebrews about what God's actively done to build his church, how he was at work in the Old Testament, but how in similar ways he is actively working in the New Testament church. Um, what, if, there, if you have like a life verse, you kind of always go to that verse. I'd encourage you, you know, check out the rest of the, uh, the book this week. Go, go back and see the context for it. See what God's been active, how God is actively, what God's actively doing to build the church. Um, and also, we have an active community in the church um, still today. Uh, wh- one of the things that's interesting, uh, so here it's talking about you put on the shield of faith. Um, the word is actually, it's a plural you. So there's like, there's like one shield, but a plural you. Uh, uh, I was a missionary in Sierra Leone for six years, and one of their main languages is Creo. And they've got two words. They've got a word called una, which means kind of all of you. And then they have the word you, which means a singular you. And just reading this, and when it says una, 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 just that made, became so clear to me that God was talking to community and not an individual. It made me start to think, what, what does it look like since it's a community but it's still one singular shield. What does it mean for a community? What would it mean for us as a church together to lift up the shield of faith? What would it mean for us as a church together to put on the helmet of salvation? Uh, to hold up the sword of the Spirit. You know, in, uh, in Proverbs, it talks about how iron sharpens iron. You know, if, if you're just coming here and, and, and all the word you're getting is from the pastor on Sundays, um, you, you don't have your own iron to rub against to get a sharp sword. But if you guys are in the word yourself, if you guys are doing devotions, if, if you're memorizing scripture, if you're reading passages, if you're praying um, through the scripture during the week, and God's speaking to you, and then you come, and Roland comes with what God's spoken to him, or Cole comes with what God's spoken to him, and what God's been speaking to you, and what God's been speaking to the, the pastors rubbing against each other, iron sharpens iron, and you're going to have a sharper sword, and we, we'll have a sharper sword as a church, to stand firm. And then finally, at, at the end, um, just like Jehoshaphat and his community was facing a problem, we see that Paul is facing a problem. So in Ephesians 6, um, verse 8 um, through 20, he says, Praying always with prayer and supplication the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, the utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Um, so here, Paul's writing this from jail. Um, and so, so he's, got, he's got his own problem. He's, he's in jail, but he still wants to be a bold witness, even locked up in prison. And so he's asked, saying to them, Church, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me in this problem that I'm facing. Um, and, he's, this is a, and he's writing this letter to the church. Um, so there's, there are certain letters uh, that are personal letters. So Philemon is a personal letter written just to, uh, just to one person um, whose name is Onesimus. There's also pastoral letters um, where, which are written, just, that are written to the pastor of the church and not the church itself. Timothy and Titus are examples of these. But Ephesians is, is a letter written to the whole church. Um, so, so, yeah, this, this isn't just for a pastor, this isn't just for an individual, but this is for us as a church. 
And he's saying, encouraging the church, the whole church of Ephesians to be praying for him that God might give him boldness. Um, I, about back in 2014, um, I was a missionary in Sierra Leone coming to the end of my time because I'd kind of burned out at the end. I'd been working with these, uh, yeah, with girls that had been deeply hurt by men. Um, yeah, I was working with, uh, yeah, yeah, these girls that had been exploited by men and they had these, these deeply penetrating wounds. And uh, we, we were trying to get these, uh, these, yeah, we're trying to get some justice for these girls, get some of these men uh, locked up so that they couldn't hurt the girls anymore that we were working with. And we just watched case after case fall apart because of bribery. And as this was going on, like I would, I would started out praying and praying, and it just seemed like nothing was happening. I started to wonder, where is God? I started to feel distant from God. And towards the end, I, I like burned out, like still trying to like do all these good things, uh, but trying to do it in my own strength because I, I just couldn't figure out where God was, why all these cases were falling apart. Um, why, yeah, why bribery continues to succeed and why these girls continued to remain vulnerable to these guys. Um, and so, I, yeah, I kind of burned out and spent a couple years like just trying to uh, just wrestle through that um, yeah, and get, get, figure out how to talk with God again about that. Uh, a few, about a month ago, I started an internship. Uh, I'm a student at Moody now. And so I'm, now I'm working. I go out uh, a couple, two nights a week with Emmaus and we're reaching out to men in prostitution over in Boys Town. Um, and also for part of it, I'm going out to DuPage County where there's a safe house for trafficked women. Um, and I'm kind of in the same situation and I'm, reali- and I'm, yeah, and I'm realizing, yeah, like I'm s- in some ways I'm still asking the questions, why did those things happen? Like where was God when all these things were falling apart? But I'm, uh, I'm really trying to be, um, yeah, as I was preparing this sermon, a lot of it was, fr- was realizing like I really need to trust that God is near. I need to keep my eyes open and be looking for him. Um, even as I'm facing these things, even as sometimes it seems like justice can be so slow to come. Um, and yeah, wondering where God is. Um, so yeah, like I have personal things I'm facing. You guys might have personal things that you're facing that you're wondering, where is God in the midst of this? Um, but that doesn't mean that he's distant and far off. Um, and so I, I really want to challenge you to, to stand or uh, if you need to, to kneel or bow down or lie on your face before God this week. You know, get in his word and see what he's been actively doing for his churches. Um, and also, uh, like he says, pray for me, um, you know, as I'm here in chains preaching the gospel. I'm not in chains, but pray for me as I'm doing this internship. If you guys are in a community group, yeah, there's probably other people in your community group. Um, yeah, be, how can you be praying for them? What are the challenges they're facing? And you know, maybe some of them are going to be seeing uh, family members for the 4th of July that, that aren't walking with the Lord and they really want boldness, but they're really not sure how to talk to family members. You know, be praying for them in that um, and other challenges they might be facing. Um, but yeah, so how can we as a community be praying together, standing together, even standing and praying for uh, Cole and uh, Roland as they're over in France right now? Um, but yeah, ways, what are ways that you can be actively st- uh, standing this week and you know, if you think about where you've turned, for me, like I said, it was ice cream or phone. Where have you turned? But also, where do you want to turn this week? You know, if you think about this is where I usually turn. Yeah, what, what usually happens at that moment? Like, and if you could do it over, where would you turn instead? What, what, what has to change for you to be able to, to turn to God instead of, um, yeah, and just whatever you're using to stuff those emotions of anxiety, alarm? 
Um, so as, as we go into worship, I want you to be thinking about where are you going to turn when you're afraid, alarmed, um, ashamed, or anxious this week?